0: Shri La Guru Dev Ki Jai Shri Man Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Shri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Rantara Shri Mat Bhagavatam Ki Jai Shri Brahmar Gita Ki Jai Ghor Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai Ghor Prima Dharivo So, pranam to all of you. Good uh, afternoon, here I'm recording this lecture from Austria. Actually, the day you are seeing this video I will be already in Finland, but actually I will be arriving there. So, I didn't have the chance to connect live for sharing with you this time, and that's why we are sharing this recorded streaming for this time. I hope you may forgive me for that and hope to meet you next week as well. So today we are, (coughs) sorry, continuing with our series of lectures on Sri Brahmad Gita. Uh, We are entering into the conclusive, conclusion section of the whole series. We have been studying last class, the last, very last verse of Brahmad Gita, the 10th verse. And starting from today, for the next few weeks, we will be, making some other series of lectures as an afterthought of this whole Brahmar Gita. Mm. What's the conclusion? What comes after? Which are the consequences of this bumblebee song? Mm. So we will start today with the first class of conclusion here. Maybe we'll we will have like seven or something. Mm. So I hope you you may have some patience to go along with this narrative. So today we will be studying some verses that come after the last verse of Brahma Gita. The last verse of Brahma Gita was verse 21 from the 47th chapter of 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, And today we will be studying verses 22 till 29. Mm-hmm. But as usual first of all let's make some brief uh, recap of what we studied last week where we were discussing the last verse the 10th verse of the Brahma Gita where Shirada addresses finally Udab after speaking like a mad woman to the bumblebee for nine verses. In the very last verse, according to Jeeva Goswami, she addresses Udab, the official messenger here in the story, thinking, till now I have not asked what I should have asked. And therefore, in her very last statement, some uh, request comes. So she says to Udava, Odav, oh, it is indeed regrettable that Krishna resides in Mathura. Does his, he remember his father's household affairs and his friends, the cowherd boys? Oh great soul, does he ever talk about us, his maidservants? When will he lay on our heads his aguru-scented hand?" So this is the very last verse of Sri Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> in each one of these four, fourth line shirada uh, expresses different Sanchari vibes, as we all see. Hmm? Gravity, humility, and steadiness, eagerness. Hmm? So to begin with she expresses her gravity by asking about where is Krishna. Hmm? Krishna is in Mathura yet hmm? because the idea is we have heard some news came to Braj that he went to Abanti for Guru Kul with Sandi Pani Muni. So is he still in the Gurukul? Has he returned mm, to Mathura? Will he go somewhere else? Mm? Maybe he's going even further from Braj than Mathura, or maybe he's returning to Braj. Of course, that's a, the, the the real intention and idea of this question. Ultimately, <clears throat> in, in his in his commentaries, the reasons why Krishna does not return. Return, as we have shared. he wants to. But he cannot because of circumstantial uh, impositions in the lila, if you will, with with many simultaneous purposes at the same time, not only uh, extolling the glories of the Vrajabhasis, highlighting the glories of their love in separation by contrasting them with the love of the Maturabhasis, and so on. So in the second line then she she asks about more specifically different camps if you will Batsalia camp, Sakya camp, Madura Camp in that particular order, which corresponds with the ages of Krishna, you know, Kumar, Poganda and Kishore. So first she asks about if Krishna is remembering whatever he may be, uh, Mathura, in this case, his father's household affairs, his house where he was born all the all the remembrances from that time. And then does he remember the elders, also other elders like Upananda, his uncles and aunts and so on. Then going to the Sakya camp, does he remember his friends? He has such nice friends and all of them, <laughs> both Batsali and Sakya are in the condition of total devastation in separation from Krishna and Braj. And finally in the third line, Srirad asked regarding the about the Madhurya camp, that he sometimes even speaks about to us. Vishwanath Chakravartya mentions that very nicely in his purple also. Like, like rather thinking, Krishna, when he's immature and he's not fully satisfied with the ladies there, and when the ladies ask how they could satisfy him, he should tell them about the ladies of Vrindavan, how the, the gopis are expert in perfuming themselves, in dressing themselves, in pleasing him in so many ways, in playing so many different games, and he will tell them, actually, I'm not so attached to you as I am to them, so I will return to Vrindavan tomorrow morning. In this way, Cerada projects her vav, and as we will see, eventually, that will come to happen. And Krishna will return to Braj. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the context of this verse, also, Srila Jiva Goswami in particular, emphasizes again the concept of swakīya shwakiya tatwa, not bhava, but how Radha and Krishna belong to one another, Krishna and the gopis belong to one another, shakti manu shakti, especially with the term Aryaputra present in this verse, Krishna the son of a respectable man, Nanda Maharaj, which Bharat Muni says this is a term exclusively used in the realm of aesthetics between wife and husband, from wife to address her husband. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the last line of the verse, after inquiring about the different camps in Braj, Bhatsalya, Sakya, <clears throat> Madhurya, she asks, rather presents her last request When will Krishna lay on our heads his Asguru sent hand? In other words, when he will return, when he will bless us. Hand on the head means blessing, and for that to happen, Krishna has to return. But actually, when she says this, she herself, in her ecstasy, and union and separation experiences Krishna's hand on her head and faints immediately by perceiving this physical contact with Krishna. So this is the end of the Brahman Gita with Shirada Mm -hmm. collapsing after mentioning the word hand and feeling that hand on her head with Krishna confirming I'm here. Mm -hmm. I cannot be but united with you at every single moment in one form or another. So again, this verse represents <clears throat> four qualities present in each one of the successive lines gravity, humility, agitation and longing. First, second, third, and fourth line, which make up for the type of Chitra Jalpa, called sujalpa, which Rupa Goswami describes in this way, without of honest sincerity, a lover inquires about Srihari with gravity, humility, and steadiness unsteadiness, and intense longing or eagerness that's called Sujalpa. Also an interesting point that we mentioned at the end of our summer our lecture last week was that some authorities, Viswanath Chakrabartakur says, uh, mentioned that the bumblebee was actually Krishna himself, appearing in this unique form in order to drink the sweetness of Sri Radha's Chitrajalpa, or divine talks. So that's another way of conceiving the Brahma-gita, as a dialogue, basically, conversation between Radha and Krishna, each one in a totally unique form and intoxicated state. Mm-hmm. This height of love and separation. Mm-hmm. And we concluded our previous lecture also with some parallels between Krishna and Mathura, who is now there, in comparison to Ram, when Sita is banished from the kingdom, and how during the day he is showing nice face to the public, but in the night he is locking himself in his chambers and crying and crying and crying. And also we explain another reason why Krishna is not returning to, to Braj is because the Mathurabhasis will die in separation from Krishna, while the Vrajabhasis somehow survive, which may seem that, oh, Mathurabhasis love Krishna more than the Vrajabhasis and that's why they will die. But actually it's not like that. The Vrajabhasis are not dying only because they think if Krishna returns and we die, he will suffer because of that. So somehow, even though it's so difficult for us to bear this forest fire of separation, we have to survive. So all this, all this saying, this is the precise moment where Uddhava thinks, now it's the moment for me to deliver the message. Now is the moment for me to give to the gopis the letter that Krishna sent for them. Because the gopis are expressing themselves in terms of we are separated from Krishna. They feel themselves in that under the, the particular bhava they are in. And Krishna, in his message will confirm, this is not the fact. We cannot be but united. So today we will continue, start with this section where Uddhava finally Uddhava will speak, say something. Till now he was totally speechless and favor-glasted, but he will take the word now and start to say something. <clears throat> and then deliver Krishna's messages, and then the Gopis will have something to say in that regard. And then Uddhava will pronounce some famous prayers by in relation to what the Gopis have said and the glories of their love. And then we will conclude our whole series of Ramagita and again some seven classes narrating how the remains in Braj for some time and how the whole Braja Lila turns into from manifest Lila to in, into man in manifest from Prakat to Aprakat. So <clears throat> let's start with the again. We will see today verses twenty-two to twenty-nine from chapter forty-seven of tenth canto just continuing with the next verse after the last verse we have been seeing, the last verse of Brahma Gita. But before that, a brief in-between background description of what go, what's going on after Srirada pronounces this last verse of the Brahman Gita, Srila Jiva Goswami. His Gopal Shampoo mentions that Srirada remained unconscious for one muhurta. One muhurta means 48 minutes, almost an hour. After mentioning this last verse of Ramar Gita, they're saying, When he will put my hand on my head, collapse. So all the Sakis are caring for her, trying to revive her, crying for her, lamenting for her. Srila Jiva Goswami say, Oh Radha, friend Radha with such love for Krishna, oh Radha, who always gives us happiness, we see you are in a deathly state with dark eyes. So. And at the same time, Jiva Goswami describes how Uddhava himself, who has somehow is a facsimile of Krishna, appeared like he's sporty because of physical similarity and so on. He started to lament and trying to do something to bring Radha back to consciousness by bringing close to her a fresh piece of Krishna's cloth which holds Krishna's bodily fragrance. Krishna gave this to have knowing all the things that will unfold and happen, even though have said, why are you giving me this piece of your cloth? What's the practical purpose of that? And Krishna said, basically, you will know in time. <laughs> so now is the moment for him to use this in trying to revive Sri Rada. Mm-hmm. So to say that Sri Rada was situated in the center of the assembly, Udav himself was helping in that with great determination and... Udab, as we will see, will try to convince her and the gopis, you will meet Krishna. Hmm. So the Sakis were sitting all around, Sirada in the center, and Udav trying to console them for a long time in order to relieve them of emotions. Jiva Goswami says, difficult for anyone to bear. Hmm. There are many of these descriptions in Shastra. What's the type of joy and sorrow that Sirada feels due to the unlimited degree of her love? Impossible to bear such a heavy load of both happiness and distress ecstatic one. Very intense, very intense. That's why she chose to cover, embrace Krishna when he wanted to taste that himself as Mahaprabhu. Mm. This is too much she (laughs) says. I will accompany you somehow because you will roll on the ground, you will smash your head on the wall. This is uncontainable basically. Impossible to contain. So this is the the stage in which from here on Uda will start to say something and so on but before Uda takes Starts to speak, Sukadev Goswami will pronounce one verse. Remember, all this is being narrated by Sukadev to Pariksit Maharaj. Hmm? So, Sukadev Goswami, in verse 22. I will read these verses since we will see many verses in each class from now on. I will read them straight in English, at least most of them. So, verse 22 says, Sukadev Goswami hmm, said to Pariksit, having heard this, hmm? having heard this Brahma Gita, would have then tried to pacify the gopis. Who were most eager to see Krishna? He thus began relating to them the message of their beloved. So, this is only one verse. Next verse, Uddhav starts to speak, but Sukadev Goswami puts in context how hmm, Uddhav reacted to the Brahmar Gita, which was the condition of the gopis. Krishna Darshan Lalasa, very eager to see Krishna, and what did he do in order to relieve them, to serve them in the spirit of honoring what he was witnessing coming from them. So he tried to deliver the message. Srila Jiva Goswami comments on this verse mentioning that Udav spoke to inform the gopis of Krishna's powers of, and the greatness of his pram in order to stop the transformations arising from their Prem and to praise them in order to relieve their feelings of wretchedness. Out of respect, Udav did not speak to Radha directly. She heard to others. So we will see that we'll try to present the discourse with lots of ingredients of Aishvarya and Krishna being God, trying to somehow dilute the intense emotionality that the gopis are experiencing in relation to Krishna as their lover. But we'll see all this knowledge will drown in an ocean of Madhurya, <laughs> And he's not speaking to Radha rather directly. And there is this consideration. If you have someone who is very, very much honorable and respectful for you, 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 you won't address the person directly. So that's what Udav is trying to show here, how much respect he has for Radha after he has witnessed it, this degree of her prem in the Brahma Gita. Sanatan Goswami, his own commentary to this verse, says something similar. He mentions that since uh, it wasn't suitable to begin to message immediately right after the very, just immediate end of the Brahma Gita, because the gopis, Siraj in particular, were so disturbed by the currents of Prem, then Udav waited for a minute and began to speak a while later. And when the disturbance of Prem somehow lessened, he thought, okay, now it's the moment for them to hear the message. And as we will see, he will start with statements expressing the good fortune of the gopis, trying with that to counteract the gopis' misery and trying to make give them give up their disturbance basically no? so that's the intention of Uda. again he didn't spoke immediately began immediately but when he did so was with the intention of hmm, relieving them and glorifying their prayer hmm, he was really meaning that so in this way Uda began to speak as follows so let's go to the next verse hmm? verse 23 Ud, Uda said hmm, certainly you gopis are all successful and are universally worshipped because you have dedicated your minds in this way to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Basudev. Hmm? So here we'll start to see this uh, infiltration of Aishvarya. You know, Udav is glorifying the gopis and you are all successful. He will repeat that at the end of his tain in Braj. Meta param You have such a love for he who is the Supreme Lord, Bhagavan, Vasudeva. So for the gopis, again, Krishna is not Bhagavan. (laughs) Udav is trying to mix these two realities. In one sense, you have such a love for Krishna, and he is God. So you have such a love in this unique way for God. So with this, he's trying to dilute the intense emotionality of their prayer, because Udav thinks they may die if they continue escalating in this direction. So by saying here that Krishna is supreme, again, also at the same time, another purpose is that for us, or for the rest of the world, Udav, the greatest sage and most sober personality, minister of Krishna and so on, if he says that the love of the gopis is the greatest, it means it is the greatest. And that's a point that Krishna wanted to make through Udab by sending him to Braj. So by here, Udav saying Krishna is supreme, therefore Udav, Udav shows... The gopis have attained the highest success because he's the supreme, and you have the topmost love for the supreme. Therefore, your love is supreme. Ultimately, that's the idea here. Jiva Goswami says something different. You, Radha, and all the gopis having complete Prem from Krishna are worshipped by others. The type of worship you perform is worshipable. The type of love you have is the goal to attain, the ultimate goal to attain. Then, I will skip some... I think only one verse, but a few ones. In verse 25, <clears> have <throat> continues with his praise mm-hmm. of the Gopi's position. He says, By your great fortune, you have established an, ex- an excelled standard of pure devotion for the Lord, Uttama Shloka, a standard even the sages can hardly attain. muktanama Pishidanam Narayana, Parayana, and so on. Many verses like this. Mm-hmm. So Udav implies here, hmm? your bhakti, according to our poor is consists of Mahabhav, and this bhakti is Nityasiddha. In other words, you are ragatmikas. You are made of love. You don't have love for Krishna. You are love for Krishna. <laughs> That's a different thing. You are not receiving love, acquiring love, developing love, love receive, but you are love for Krishna. You are the very form and personification of Bhakti Mahabhav, the highest degree, that's Nitya Siddha, eternally perfect, eternally established, Nitya Siddha Krishna Prem, hmm? Sadhya Kabunai So <clears throat> here Udav implies there not only the great your your great fortune but my great fortune basically he's saying by myself being witness witnessing the degree of your great fortune. And hmm? um, by showing this basically Udab saying here you establish an excelled standard of pure devotion in other words, you, by your own example, you are preaching to the whole world. By your achar, you are doing prachar. Mm. Just by people hearing about the degree, the intensity of your surrender and love for Krishna, um, I mean, your conduct in itself is the most powerful type of discourse. Mm. Because your conduct is made of incomparable bhakti that we call prem mm. So follow, you, you are the very forms of ragatmika bhakti, therefore following in your footsteps raganuga bhakti will be spread as a practice in the future and that's what mahaprabhu comes to give prema raga marga bhakti loki he came to preach raga bhakti to the world and that raga bhakti has to do with following in the footsteps of the raga <clears throat> so here the gopis are those raga Atmikas, some of those of course not only the only ones but in this particular case. So with, this, with all this also Udav is kind of giving some prediction for the future. The power of your example is so intense so deep that it's not only affecting me but in the future will create waves and waves on thousands of practitioners trying to adopt that sacred passionate path of love. Then in verse 26 he says, Continues speaking to the gopis. By your great fortune, you have left your sons, husbands, bodily comforts, relatives, and homes in favor of the supreme male, who is known as Krishna. Again, he tries to put in contact, who is Krishna? The supreme male, Purushottam. In other words, of saying it's another form of saying, Shakti Bhagavan. And you have left everything behind for his sake. For his sake. So the implication here is, having seen and heard about your actions, other people will do the same. Knowing about the degree of your attachment for Krishna and detachment for everything else, other people will feel inspired to tread that same path. So here Uda mentions a list of elements of potential attachments, if you will, and the order of the list is from more important to less important. Sons husbands, bodily comfort, relatives, homes, according to the charis. All of these points will be re-mentioned eventually by Uda, before leaving Brach in his famous prayers, and so on. So this is the nature of Parakiya. Let me share some words in this connection, since this has a lot to do with what Parakia is about, leaving aside, sons, family, social considerations, reputation, dharma, for the sake of Parādharma. So Parākīya, the love of a lover, has a lot to do with that. It is said that in order to increase the eagerness of the divine couple, let's speak about Śrīrāda as the very ultimate epitome of Parākīya in relation to Krishna, Yogamaya makes some arrangement for the love of Radha Krishna to be accompanied, basically ornamented by three elements which are really characteristic of Parākīya bhava. First one is bahu bari mam So bahu mam this is mentioned by Rupa Goswami in nilamani bahu mam means this love is full of obstacles. We already described this in previous series. On a daily basis, for them to meet mm, under the sun, in the mid of the day. I mean, they have to cross so many obstacles. And in the night, what to speak the night? The family, the forest, society, reput- so uh, I won't go into detail again now in that direction. Second, characteristic is Prachana Kamata. Prachanna Kamata is a hidden love. It's a, it's, a, it's a love that cannot be expressed openly, explicitly, everywhere and anywhere. And so it has to be concealed in a very art, artful and exp, expert way. And that's what Paraki is all about. And all that makes that love more and more thick and condensed in one's inner quarters. And third, characteristic is sudurlaba. Very rare. Mm-hmm. Very precious. Mm-hmm. So all of these put together, combine, <coughs> create, mm-hmm. become causes for the highest type of loving ecstasy. Srila mm-hmm. Jiva Goswami says something similar in his pretty Sandharva. Mm-hmm. on that two hundred seventy-nine. He mentioned that some people may think that all these different obstacles that so much characterize Parakiya Bhava actually increase the gopi's love for Krishna, but actually that is not so actually the love of the gopi for krishna of course vice versa but in this case the love for the gopi for krishna is naturally the highest it doesn't need obstacles to increase mm. as we will see the obstacles only highlight their presence its presence and this is confirmed jiva goswami said by the queens of Dwarka in the bhagavatam 108343, 43 they say
1: jat
0: Bhajanti. they say we desire the same contact with the feet of the Supreme Lord, the same content that the young woman of Braja had. And Udav, similarly, as we will see in his last prayers, he says in Pagod and also 1047-58, Panchanti bhava biyo, Me, devotees, sages, desire the intensity of the gopis bhava. But the queens of Dwarka and Udav, these two cases quoted here, Jiva Goswami continues, they could not attain the level of the gopis, because Their love for him was legal, the love of the queens and Uda. They were friends, they were husband and wife, legal love, if you will, on social terms. Therefore, it was unobstructed. They were not the obstacles, obstacles that are there in Parakia. So he concludes saying, so what's the role of the obstacles here? It is said that when a mad elephant storms into a fortress, only then it shows his strength. But that fortress is not causing... hmm? That strength. In the same way, it's just showing that which is already there. In the same way, the obstructions caused by the gopis' superiors, basically, the obstacles, is not causing mm, the love of the gopis, but showing the supremacy of their love. Their love is already there in them. They are ragadmikas they need to see this. Mm. So, as we many times say, the obstacles should not discourage us. We should draw some inspiration from this, and whatever obstacles come into our path should nourish mm. our passionate desire mm, towards surrender. Mm. Similarly in Bidakda fight 57, there is a nice section where Madhu Mangal is asking about the characteristics of unconditional love. Mm. And he asks to Purnamasi. And Purnamasi says you know, he asks what are which are the attributes of unconditional love? Ananya Bhakti, and she says when one hears praise from his beloved, he all worldly remains neutral but feels pain within his heart. When he hears his beloved making accusations about him, he takes them to be jokes and enjoys pleasure. When he finds faults in his beloved, they do not diminish his love, nor do the beloved's good qualities increase his spontaneous affection. Thus, spontaneous love continues under all circumstances. And when Madhu Manga heard, heard this reply by Purnamasi, he said, Oh, this is the nature of love between Radha and Madhava. Hmm. That's how it works for them. Hmm. It's not that, again, faults in the other person diminish the love, good qualities augment the love. The love is already there. Hmm. Already there. From time without beginning. Of course, it's increasing and augmenting, but not because of this or because of that, because of the very nature of that love. That's what we call unconditional love. There are no conditions hmm, for that love to be this or that. But it's spontaneously growing. see that. So then, after Uddhav said this, glorified the Gopis again, you have left all many things for the sake of Krishna. And the Gopis replied, not explicitly in the verses of the Bhagavatam, but in between the lines, the Gopis replied to Uddhav, according to our commentators, how, in which sense it is fortunate for you that we have given up wealth and family to accept Krishna, the supreme male. So Udav replies in the next verse, verse 27, he says to the gopis, You have rightfully claimed the privilege of unalloyed love for the transcendental Lord, O most glorious gopis. Indeed, by exhibiting your love for Krishna in separation from Him, you have shown me great mercy. Now he more officially states his own good fortune by witnessing their good fortune, the good fortune of their prem. Hmm. Hmm. And here, here we'll we'll spend some time with this verse, a little bit, this is very interesting. There's one expression here called Sarbatma bhava this original Sanskrit. Jiva Goswami translates Uddhav saying this to the gopis, You have all bhavas up to Mahabhav, Atma bhav no, So, all these developments of Prem. Prem, Sneha, Man, Pranaya, Raga, Nurag, Bhava, Mahabhava. And all the sub-developments of Mahabhava. Hmm. So, that Bhava that you have for the Lord. Sarva-Atma. Atma can mean also Krishna. Atma means body, mind, soul. So many things. And also can mean Krishna. He's the Atma of the Atma. So, you have Sarva-Atma, Bhava. You have all types of Bhavas for Krishna. Up to the highest one, Mahabhava. So, this Baba... Hmm, that you have for him makes him be in control by you. Therefore, he's not far from you. Now, Uddhav is trying to, with this type of words, to give relief and hope to the gopis. And he's coming, Mahabhaga. He say he calls him Mahabhaga. Means, oh, great, great fortunate ones. Mm-hmm. Separation, as you perceive it, is only external. Inter- as we'll see today at the end, also in the, in the next class. So you should not absorb your mind in that exclusively, I think, in we are separated. I think that this separation, Uda basically concludes according to Sri Jiva here, I think that separation has appeared externally, only in order to give mercy to me by showing the greatness of your pram. So I think that Jogamaya made this arrangement, of course Uda may not speak in those terms, we are saying that, in order for Udav to witness mm-hmm. this particular scenario of Raj in Bipralamba in separation, mm-hmm. the greatness to extol, and to highlight the glories of the Prem. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the gift that Udha feels he received was to realize, oh my God, Krishna never leaves Vrindavan, as we know, ultimately. This is the the insight he's starting to receive more and more at this point. And remember in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. We read when Mahaprabhu was instructing Rupa Goswami, he said never take he, he instructed Sri Rupa, never take Krishna out of Vrindavan. In other words, whatever the appearances, Krishna never abandons his devotees. Krishna never never abandons his abode. And of course, this instruction was given while Sri Rupa was writing his Lalit Madhava, his play, which describes in detail the departure of Krishna from Braj, as we know. So, uh, to accommodate Mahaprabhu's instruction, Rupa Goswami made numerous changes in his play. And basically he concluded saying that Jogamaya made made an announcement, mentioning all these events where Krishna seems to leave Braj, are somehow a bad dream or hallucination that Jogamaya herself created for the sake of pastimes, of nourishing the whole dynamics of the Leela. In fact, the conclusion is neither Krishna nor the Gopis had ever left Gokul, as we mentioned once over and over again. He never puts a step out of Raj. So Udav tries to make this point here again with the word Sarma Sarbatma Bhava, glorifying the Gopis. You have such Bhava for the for Atma for Krishna. I mean he cannot leave this place for a moment. This Bhava or Mahabhava is the seventh again manifestation of Frem in all these developments from Sneha to Mahabab. And this manifests only in you, not even in Lakshmi. Interestingly. It is she, he says it is like a spirit, like some type of privilege, special privilege, which had been by the Lord to you, woman, alone, and not to anyone else. Adikrita is the term in Sanskrit originally here. You have received this particular privilege of having this love for him. Your love is uniquely competent. That's called by Rupa Goswami, samartha in comparison to other forms of, uh, of romantic love. Hmm? Samanjasarati, Sadarani rati samartha means it's so condensed, so selfless, so dedicated, that it's competent to control Ishvara himself, the controller himself. Hmm? And by your manifestation of love and separation in particular, Buddha mentions it with full humility and crying, really moved in his heart, you have been been really merciful to me. Because you I have been witnessing all these varieties, all this parade of Bhava, different forms of bhava, and ecstasy, mahabhab, chitrajal, padibian mad. I mean all this is Uddhava's reply to the Brahmar Gita, please bear that in mind. <laughs> this is the main darshan he has had with the gopis till now. So if you had not, not experienced separation from Krishna, especially Sri Radha in Brahma Gita, Udav concludes, Krishna would have not sent me here and I would not have observed this great wonder. So now Udav starts to, to have more and more aha moments. Like, oh, now I'm, I'm tying all the knots and realizing why Krishna sent me here. It, it's becoming more and more apparent, more and more apparent. So he's describing in a very clear way his good fortune Mm. so to this the gopis may reply according to our commentators in between the lines Mm. Oh, you are speaking about Mahabha but in speaking about that what's the use of praising us and yourself Mm. you came here to pacify us right so you do that means you have some message from Krishna which can remove our sorrow because that's the only way we will be pacified so if you have that message please tell that to us, share that with us immediately. (laughs) So the gopis don't have too much mind for philosophical dialogue and so on. They appreciate Udav, but they want to to really know why you came from, why you came here.
1: Hmm.
0: So Udav then replies in the next verse. Hmm. When when he tries to console the gopis, and and he he sees, oh, they are in a better condition now. So I can start to deliver Krishna's message, message here. He will introduce the verse the message in the next person, then start officially with the message. So, according to some commentators, Udab says, okay, now they are in a more balanced way, so I can share the message. Or Goswami gives another point, but makes the same idea, as Udav is upset on not seeing any decrease in the Gopis' agitation. And he thinks, therefore, okay, the only way they may recover then is by hearing Krishna's message, so I will simply begin to speak. So whether they got more balance or or, or not because of whatever those reasons Uda considers this is a moment to present Christian's messages. So text 28 where Uda will introduce the message. He says, "My good ladies, now please hear your beloved's message, which I, the confidential servant of my master, have come here to bring you." So he's introducing for a moment creating the the, the moment, the proper moment. So here, interestingly, have described himself as Rahas Karaha, which means someone who, the executor of confidential duties, basically. Hmm? Kara, rasa, rahas comes from rah- Rahasya, or secret. And Karaha refers to someone who is doing, who is doing secrets, basically. <laughs> or executor of confidential duties. So what's the implication here? Of course, he's the messenger of Krishna. So by this Uddhav is hinting to the gopis, you should seek out some hidden import in Krishna's message. I will repeat Krishna's message, but I, the message is beyond my own head, actually. I know I'm delivering something confidential, but it's so confidential that me, myself, the messenger, I'm not aware of the full implications of this message. So you, you, you I, I see because of your prem, you will have the capacity of seeing in between the lines, of hearing the implied meanings of this message. So that's why Udav himself presents as a uh, deliverer of confidential messages, karaha. So it is said that when Krishna wrote his message, hmm? he was so affected emotionally, hmm? internally, to the gopis, he, he wrote it with his own hand, that his letter, his writing, handwriting, was difficult to understand. He was too ecstatic, too trembling. And therefore, Udav considered, better I myself, I will read the letter to the Gopis. I won't give the letter to the Gopis. Mm. Why? Mainly? Not only because they they may not understand the letter. I mean, for sure, they will have more capacity to understand the letter than Udav. But they, he thought, oh, if they took the letter, they will cry so profusely that they will, I mean, drown the whole letter into a pool of tears. And that, at that moment, that will be impossible to read it. Not like the famous... Srimad Bhagavatam of Gadadhar Pandit. All the ink was totally erased by his constant tears while reading the Bhagavatam. Empty, blank pages, but full of the very essence of the Bhagavatam. So it is because of this that Uddhav himself read the message, which is said that was written by Sri Krishna in a very grave style, mood, in such a way that all the different philosophers and sober personalities around the world were could appreciate the pure love of God in every aspect. In other words, He's trying to serve and glorify Radha and the Gopis by speaking this message and showing the degree of their love for him. So, this message, before going to the first verse, that will be the last verse we will see today, the first verse of Krishna's message, this message consists of what sometimes is known as Adyatma Siksha, at the Atma Siksha, which is instruction about the nature of spirit, Brahman, and the soul, in more philosophical Upanishadic terms, abstract presentation. Krishna himself delivers a similar message when in his meeting with the Gopis at Kurukshetra in the solar eclipse. You can read them. It's verses 40 to 47 of the 10th canto, chapter 82. We spoke a little bit about that recently in Bulgaria for the Uh, getting closer to the Arathayatra celebration. Mm. So, in both of these sections, in the Kurukshetra narration and here, mm, Krishna will emphasize, as we will see, the impossibility of anyone's being separated from him. And what's the reason for that? Of course, he is Paramatma, the indwelling super-soul, and he's also Brahman, the all-pervading Brahman. Mm. But as we will see, the Gupis. Have no ear for that philosophical sphere, and they are catching a deeper, mm, further level of content there, which nobody else, which nobody else were a- was able to catch. Mm. So again, all these verses overtly are presented in very grave philosophical terse language,
1: mm.
0: and, and of course, Godia Bhajanshams are not in denial of the truth of those statements on that level, but since for the Gaudia, their personal ishtadev, their personal expression of the Supreme is Krishna in Braj, and that Krishna in Braj supersedes hmm? all the other features of the Divine, namely Paramatma Bhagavan and Brahman, and even other forms of Bhagavan. The point is, for Gaudiya, such an explanation on the level of Adhyatma siksha does not convey too much rasa, does not give satisfaction, and therefore the Gaudias will take the Gopis' reply. To Krishna's message to be proof of this no? they will find another meaning deeper than that and remember we are here in the Bhagavad and the very beginning of the Bhagavad and the Chatur Shloki which is the very first original section of the Bhagavad and the fourth seed verses it is said An this is to be understood both directly and indirectly so we have to maintain this always in context there is always each section of the Bhagavad possesses direct meaning but also an indirect one Hmm. so here we will go through that as well there is an explicit obvious meaning but there will be another layers of possibilities which is where the gopis inhabit Hmm. and we'll see also not only there is aishvarya but sometimes this Krishna will describe himself not only as Paramatma but as as, as Brahman Hmm. sometimes his words may border monism or what some may call it Veda Vedanta <laughs> in one particular context. So this language of Aishvarya, if not Monism, which pervades these instructions to, to the gopis, is actually seen by Godia commentators such as Sanatan Goswami and Jibo Goswami as an abomination hmm, to the to the bhakti, to our to the personalism present in true ultimate bhakti. Hmm? So that level of final conclusion is it, it cannot be the all in all that Krishna has to say to the gopis. Mm-hmm. so such teachings belong more to the realm of Gyan mm-hmm. so are not to be even considered beneficial for the ordinary devotee how much less appealing they will be for for Krishna's most to devotees the Gopikas. Mm-hmm. so as we, as we will see mm-hmm, it, it does uh, it does them no good to hear that Krishna is present in the spiritual world when they feel his physical absence so intensely here There are the topmost sages and jogis, but at the same time presented themselves as uncivilized village girls. So according to the Nara Lila and the Vahav that predominates the earthly Lila, they will express the gopis themselves accordingly.
1: Mm.
0: And therefore they will find another meaning to all these words, as we will see. So, after this introduction... We will share today the very first verse hmm, of Krishna's message to the Gopis, which may be one of the most well-known ones, which is verse 29 of this 47th chapter of 10th Canto. Totally there are nine verses. So today we will see one, and we will close our session today here. And in the next meeting we will see the eight remaining verses, if we have time. So let's go to the first one. It says like this. The Supreme Lord said, speaking to the Gopis, You are never actually separated from me, for I am the soul of all creation, just as the elements of nature, ether, air, fire, water and earth, are present in every created thing, every created thing. So I am, impre- I am present within everyone's mind, life, air and senses. And also within the physical elements and the modes of material nature. So this is the first uh, message hmm, that Krishna sends to the gopis through uddha So let's try to unpack the meaning of this verse. You can see very overtly, very clearly, Krishna speaking in a very abstract, Aishvaric terms. I can I'm not separated from you, which is the very first point Krishna wants to make. Do not think we are separated. But then he starts to share some analogies, as we will see, with the elements of nature and so on. So let's see what our Purvacharas had to say in this connection, beginning with Vishwanachaka Bharati this in this case. So he says that Krishna's first message, this verse, this verse gives, again, instructions in philosophical language, will act, one, he says, to rebuild an unassailable. unassailable invulnerable, basically, strength of the Gopis Prem to the most intelligent scholars, as we mentioned, beginning with Uda. And second, this message has to do with hiding the greatness of the Gopis love from the dull minded So extolling, highlighting something to those who have the capacity of appreciating that and hiding and protecting that from those who do not have that capacity. And then Nat says, this verse, therefore, and the rest of this series, nine verses, serves a dual purpose like the Mohini incarnation who behaved differently in relation to the devotees and the demons. Remember the Mohini avatar of Sri Krishna appearing like a beautiful lady and chanting when the Asuras and Suras and Devas were like churning the ocean for obtaining Amrit and Mohini cheated the Asuras took the, uh, the nectar from them and gave that to the to the Devas. So similarly, this, series, this section will mm, highlight and benefit those who have the capacity and somehow cheat those who do not have the eye to appreciate it. <clears throat> so in this connection, hmm, Krishna thinks, basically, oh, although through Udab I'm giving the gopis the nectar of knowledge, as we will see, he's trying, jnana, <laughs> but this knowledge, this jnana, cannot extinguish the fire, the forest fire of their love and separation. Rather, that knowledge becomes totally swallowed, consumed by the heat of that fire. Mm-hmm. So Krishna himself is witnessing, wow, just see the power of their love. It can swallow this Gyan with the charm, it captures so much, so many people and makes them leave the whole world in, in, their, in its pursuit. But for the Gopis, it's just being swallowed immediately. The Gopis Prem, therefore, is the strongest thing on earth and beyond it. Because it has rendered useless this Gyan Yoga that me, myself, Krishna, is teaching in so many forms. I am the master of the mind, I am the master of Yoga, I am Krishikis, I am Yogeshwara, Yogeshwadeswara. I am famous by delivering this Upanishad discourses, but for the Gopis, all this is just swallowed. Like if you throw a blade of grass into a pot of boiling milk, it will be swallowed and disappear totally. Mm -hmm. So this verse begins with the words, the Supreme Lord said, Hmm. So, of course, these are the words of Uddhava Krishna himself is not presenting himself in third person to the gopis as such. <laughs> the Supreme Lord said. But Uddhava himself is trying to insert, again, these Aishvarya elements, trying to dilute the emotional intensity of the gopis. Hmm. So, these are Uddhava's words. The Supreme Lord said. What's the reason, again? Uddhava is thinking different reasons, but one of them could be... Hmm. I have love for Krishna, I would have thought, but I find difficult to understand the meaning of his words. He has, he's reading this, and he's not fully. He knows there is something else here. Therefore, he is Bhagavan. He is the Lord. He has this uh, awareness, them. So I will relieve, re- reveal the Lord's message to the gopis as if he were directly speaking it to it to them, keeping the ambiguity that I perceive of his message intact. I won't try to give any interpretation. I will just share whatever it says there. And that's a good good take, no? Because if Udav is trying to explain something he himself does not understand, that will really greatly disturb the gopis. So the gopis are able to hear the message as it is mm, and draw the ultimate meaning according to Durba. And through that, sprinkle Udav with their own insight and realization, mm? So basically, what's implied in this verse, hmm, when Krishna speaks with some analogy with the elements of nature being in everything and being separated at the same time, and similarly himself, never separated from the gopis. So Krishna here implies, oh gopis, you are never separated from me, hmm, so why are you crying so much over and over again, even with the wish to die? hmm?" And of course the gopis may reply to this, according to Vishwanath, Uh, In which sense you say you are not separate from us? I mean, you are not here. Mm -hmm. So Krishna's first message is replying here like this. I'm never separated from you because I am the super soul. I am Paramatma, Antonyami, pervading everything. Mm -hmm. All the revealed Shastra, all the great sages, all the devas, Varuna and so on. Great personalities say this. Therefore, I'm always present. Mm -hmm. Not only in every heart, but in every atom. In Your bodies, which means you are not separated from me. So, again, Krishna is in this level of instruction speaking in really philosophical terms. So, of course, the gopis have no eye, no ear for that. So, at this point, the gopis may reply between the lines, Oh Praneshwar, they won't call him, Oh Paramatma, <laughs> no, Oh Praneshwar, Oh Lord of our pran, hmm? why did you send Udu to instruct us in philosophy? Well, we were dying in separation from you. And now, again, philosophy. This is the idea. Krishna's, on one level, speaking philosophy. And they are asking, but we are dying. Why in separation from you? Why philosophy? They have no head for that. So, anticipating that possible question is that Krishna answers. Oh, unintelligent girls. I only had Uddham instruct you in the methods of pure love, not jnana. How did you conclude that I was teaching you about Gyan? In other words, overtly it may seem Udav and Krishna through Udav is speaking about Gyan to the gopis. But actually there is no Gyan. Or if you want, there is the supreme type of Gyan. Gyan, Param, Guhyam, Me, as the Bhagavatam say. The topmost divine secret. Raja, Vidya, Raja, Guhyam. So there is when Krishna proceeds to give another explanation to the present verse. In in, in the vision, in the trance of the gopis, they feel all these revelations coming after hearing the verses. Mm -hmm. So, the verse ultimately is not speaking about jnana, speaking about prem. Mm -hmm. So, what is Krishna saying here? To the gopis, your separation from me is not separation, in a complete sense. But it's only in terms of the body. Mm -hmm. Since the word atma can refer to body, as we say, mind, intelligence, and soul, even Krishna, Mm -hmm. And pure love is a function of the atma. Therefore, Krishna implies my atma, my soul, intelligence, mind, and senses, is still residing among you all. It was—it's mere—it was merely my body that was taken to Mathura. I took my body to Matura, Only my body. Similarly, your senses, intelligence, and mind, your atma, this compound indicated by the word atma, reside with me in Mathura. Only your bodies remain in Braj. In other words, both of us will be residing whenever love for each other is their presence. It has nothing to do with the geographical location of the body. So Krishna continues then, All scriptures proclaim, I am subservient to pure love. So on. So many verses. And Krishna himself said that, I'm not independent in the matter of love. Therefore, separation between you and me, we have a bond of prem. That's it. The greatest chain, if you will. It's impossible to break. So the separation exists only in the separation of our bodies. And this gives rise to some feelings of suffering and separation, which is another phase of love. It's another turning of the whole pot, if you will. So now using this vehicle of separation, Prem desires to increase itself to the utmost. So that's a nice way of conceiving separation. It's a vehicle of Prem through which Prem itself desires to increase to the utmost. So that's, as many times we have shared, a good part to play, a good role to play for separation to make Prem increase. Basically, everything there is dedicated for Prema to increase, for Rasa to increase, for Lila to expand. It's, it's just, everyone is totally absorbed in that direction, orchestrated by yoga Jogamaya. So, the implication here, Krishna is saying, according to Vishwanath, even though I have great longing to return to Brach and be there with you, even in physical terms, <clears throat> of course, it's a transcendental physicality in the case of Krishna the hope is. But how can I, I immediately bring my body back to Braj? It's not the moment now. In other words, we need this separation from prema to increase to a certain point, to reach a certain purpose, and then that will happen. Hmm. That will, it will happen. There will be reunion. So Krishna implies this. When that Prem, upon reaching its, its desired level and by exhibiting the mood of full separation, there are different levels of separation, when that ascends then to the stage of direct union, only then will I, who are dependent of that Prem, be obliged to bring my body of, to brach, back to Brach. And that will happen as we will see. So Krishna is just subservient to Prem. It's an important concept to understand over and over again. Even though Prem is is, is, is a manifestation of Sarubshaktan, Shakti exists in the service ...of Bhagavan... ...interestingly with that place out in Lila... ...Krishna himself moves as subservient... ...to Prem, to Swarup Shakti... ...even though still Swarup Shakti remains as a... ...subordinate energy in the service of his... ...her master, if you will, or, or source. So, by this Krishna implies that their bodily separation... ...will disappear in the future, basically. And as we mentioned, that will happen. So the external meaning... Of the second part of the verse, then, is as follows. When he gives this comparison with the elements of nature present in each species, basically, is saying, But I am present in all beings, since I am the ingredient cause of creation. Hmm? So within all moving, non-moving beings are the gross physical elements, hmm? air, water, fire, and so on. And I am the supreme cause of everything. I am I am the shelter of everything, therefore. In other words, I am present in each and everything, having entering into them. But again, for the gopis, this part of the verse means something else. For them, is Krishna says, I take shelter of the mind, life, air, intelligence, senses and words of you who are always meditating upon me in pure love. Taking shelter in each of these, I manifest myself and thus I am always present with you. So the gopis take a pretty much Metaphysical and esoteric purpose here. When Krishna is speaking about the elements of the material world, they, they hear Krishna playing, dedicating his own praying to him, to them, and praising their love, and mentioning how he cannot but be there, taking shelter in each of these, uh, in, in the gopis' minds, in the gopis' words, in the gopis' intelligence. We are fully surcharged, drenched in Prem. So he cannot but be. There. Hmm. Srila Jiva Goswami says something similar also. Hmm. For Srila jiva Goswami, each most of these verses, of these verse nine verses of Krishna's message, contain three levels of meaning. Hmm. Sometimes we may speak in terms of literal, interpretative, and esoteric, as my Guru Maharaj will like to present. Hmm. The explicit meaning, obvious, the one that you can understand by certain hmm, connection with other ideas and eventually the most invisible, deeper type of meaning. Hmm. Or also interestingly, Sri Jeeva Goswami mentions that here Udav had to repeat Krishna's instructions three times till the gopis were able to draw the meaning that they felt, oh, here Krishna must be really saying this. Hmm. And Udav came to realize and learn this thing from them. So that's another possibility. Udav repeated the verse once, and the gopis were not fully satisfied with the with with the the version of the verse, so they say, repeat the verse again, please. And they extracted a deeper meaning, and they say, one more time, please. And they finally extracted the deepest possible meaning of each one of these verses. And Uddhav himself, by doing that, by engaging in that exercise with the gopis, he he himself started to realize the real meaning of these verses, which, as we mentioned, he was not having very clear in his own mind. Mm-hmm. So which are these three levels of meaning, of th- the three levels of meaning of this verse, according to Srila Jiva Goswami? The first meaning of this is as follows, of course, it's the most explicit meaning, where he's saying, there are gopis, are, sorry, <laughs> Krishna is saying to the gopis, you are never separated from me, mm-hmm. because I am the material cause and the antaryami.'" So I'm in everything. I'm everything and I'm in everything. Sounds pretty monistic. Soham, something like this. (laughs) Tatmahamashri. So here in this the Gopi started to think, according to Sri Jiva, he's teaching us Brahma Gyan. He's identifying everything with himself. We don't want to hear that. This is not pleasurable for us. This is not giving hope. So then they ask with indifference, what else is there? Like, in, like similar Mahaprabhu was in Ramananda Roy, Go deeper. That's superficial. Say more. Augment those truths. Mm. So here again, again, Uda repeated what was written for a second time, following Krishna's instruction, in order that the gopis will quickly understand the desired deep meaning. So the second meaning, after the second repetition of the verses, there is no separation from me, Krishna is implying the verse, By making all efforts, sarvatmana, a word in in the Sanskrit of this verse, there is no separation from me because my spurti always exists internally and externally. In other words, gopis are continuously having visions of Krishna, externally and in their inner self. And therefore, in this way, there is not possibly any type of separation because he is always appearing in, in their life, in their daily life, internally and externally. But as we will see, for the gopis, this is not enough to have visions of Krishna they want him back in every single sense of the term so in the third level of meaning before reaching that the gopis began began to wonder in astonishment like again and again he has written the same words because they are hearing the same verse over and over <laughs> so they conclude there must be success successively deeper meanings so the third repetition because I mentioned denies that he will appear as spurti, and in the case, he will come directly. So the second level has to do more with the spurti level. The first meaning has to do with the universal level. I am everything, and nature, and all the elements. Second level is, okay, in my particular form, I manifest. You have visions of me. But the third meaning, as we will see, has to do with, I will go there physically, if you will. So which is the third meaning, basically? I will go there physically. Or we could say, I have never left there as well. Krishna eternally exists in Vrindavan.
1: In
0: other words, Krishna resides in these places eternally. He cannot but stay in braj because of the force of the love there. So sometimes it is said that Krishna comes and goes from these places, Mathura, dwarka Vrindavan. But actually, as we know, we, have, we will continue sharing Krishna is doing this through different forms. He's manifesting different forms. One stays, the one that lever lips, rush, stirs always there, and some other form lives. But he's a chintia shakti. He has that capacity of remaining in one place and going to another place in another form. So this is what is being illustrated with the example of the five elements. In the same way that the elements are present in the effects, in the results, like in a table or whatever. In apricot form, in manifest form, there is water, fire, air in a chair. But you cannot just like see the fire, see the water, but it's there. They are made of that. Everything is made of them. Similarly, Krishna implies, I am present with you, gopis, in an apricot form, manifest form, invisible form, which takes the form present in your minds and life airs. Shamsundra with the flute. That's a form that still in never leaves branch and appears in your mind and life Earth continuously mm-hmm. so basically Krishna implies with this this separation from me mm-hmm. that is experienced by you <clears throat> is not absolute again mm-hmm. meaning the, 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 the idea is it does not occur with respect to all manifestations Sarva Prakash you are not separated from all of my forms rather your separation is experienced only with regard to one single manifestation, to one single Prakash. Prakash means manifestation. Mm -hmm. Remember, Prakash represents a a dimension in which the lila unfolds. I know this is difficult to understand with a limited head, but this is the notion in the the realm of lila. There are different Prakashas. Prakashas means various dimensions in which the lila unfolds simultaneously (laughs) we are to enter there. Mm. So Krishna implies this idea here. Your separation is experienced only with a single window, a single portal, a single Prakash dimension, which is present within the visible Prakat-lila. Mm. But in relation to other Prakash, which are in the Aprakat-lila, in the manifest, there is indeed union, constant, permanent union. Mm. So this is the intended sense.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Remember, Krishna is has this capacity. He's omniscient. At the same time, he manifests different simultaneous forms in different dimensions without stopping existing in the other places. So we can speak in terms of simultaneous coexistence of localization, basically. And when he appears at the same time in different places, in his medium-sizedness, if you will, and at the same time retaining his omnipresence. (laughs) That's the result of Sarup Shakti of Prem impacting Brahman, the Absolute. The Absolute who is everyone, everywhere, sir, becomes localized by the force of Prem, takes a shape, being carved by Prem, but still remains omnipresent, omniscience, omni, omni, omni. And each one of these forms, interestingly, is complete in itself. Srila Rupa Goswami describes all this very nicely in his Slagu Bhagavatam all these differences different prakashas and avatars and expansions and forms of Bhagavan. And not only the original is full, but every other form is full as well. Upanishads. Mm. So let me close with some words shared by Sri Jiva Goswami his Krishna Sundarva. some interesting points he makes. In this same connection already we made the same point, the, the main point, in regarding the three levels of understanding of this verse. Basically, he says there, when he's analyzing Bhagavan's Krishna's Krishna's realm and associates and the nature of their exchange, that it is to be understood that because these prakashes, these dimensions, are the existential ground for different acts, different lilas, Bhagavan virtually assumes out of his own will a different sense of self, that's what we call aviman, and a state of mutual unawareness in regard to each other of the other forms, in respect to each of the various prakash, in order to nourish the aesthetic rapture appropriate to specific lilas. So only for the sake of lila, only for the sake of nourishing rasa in lila it is that Bhagavan assumes out of his own volition and will different forms, and each one of those forms is unaware of the other form. Even though he has the potential of being aware, of being omniscient, here we are speaking of Krishna Braj, Nara Lila. Hmm? The degree of the sort of Shakti is such that he becomes covered hmm? <laughs> by love, <laughs> basically. Hmm? So he assumes different abhimanas, different independent expressions of will, of individuality, his different forms. It's not that there are many forms, but each one is doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, feeling the same thing simultaneously. It's not happening like that. Again, this is maybe difficult to understand, but we are speaking about God, and God in Brach. Brach means that place where everything is possible, especially for God. So... And this, the, the important point also that on top of this Shilajiva Goswami makes is that this same state of affairs applicable to Bhagavan should be also understood to apply to his associates as well, because they are all his potencies. So Shakti Man is engaging in particular Lila, but engaging in a Lila means engaging with Shakti. Lila means the interaction between Bhagavan and his associates. You take out the associate, there is no Lila. You just leave Bhagavan alone. Which lila you have there? <laughs> you need associates. You need potency, Shakti. So all these criteria applicable to Shakti mam is applicable to Shakti as well. So these associates have also, say, Jiva, Goswami, different prakashas, dimensions, as we see, for example, in the case of Sri Devaki or other associates of Krishna, when Krishna is marrying 16,000 simultaneously princesses in Dwarka.
1: Mm. Mm
0: simultaneously and now they traveling traveling around different palaces 16,000 palaces where there are 16,000 krishnas marrying 16,000 uh, wives different different krishnas if you will <laughs> and there are different devakis and different associates participating in each one of the 16,000 so they are expanding according to krishnas expansion for the purpose of lila hmm? interestingly this is happening in Dwarga. <laughs> mm. What to speak, how all the things express itself to the utmost degree in Braj. Mm. So in this way, mm, it has been established that there are different prakashas, different dimensions of unfolding of the Lila, and different types of Abhiman or self-identities and actions corresponding to Bhagavan and his associates in those prakashas. Mm. So such being the case. Mm, When Krishna, for example, went to Mathura, we are in that situation now, at that time the gopis, in their forms, within the Aprakat Prakash, try to follow the the Sanskrit terms, please, Aprakat Prakash means the unmanifest dimension, they experienced union with the Aprakat Prakash of Krishna, which is situated in a specific manifestation in Vrindavan, beyond, again, external sight, but it's there. And the same gopis in the Prakat Prakash, in the manifest
1: dimension
0: in those forms inside the prakat prakash of vrindavan they felt separation from krishna in that particular dimension while in other dimension they were meeting him constantly so krishna himself was in that prakat prakash before but then left to mathura in that particular dimension and therefore it is said that that's why krishna rightly said your separation from me is never possible in an absolutistic sense. Again, it's only in relation to one particular Prakash, and that separation with a particular purpose to nourish our mental union, even in that Prakash. Mm-hmm. And, and on the other side, again, this is state of permanent, eternal union beyond the ordinary sight, we may call it the supreme secret. Mm-hmm. And that's why it has been spoken of in in a highly concealed way, or roundabout manner, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's a pretty esoteric and confidential affair. Hmm. So according to this understanding, just to conclude today, we could say it is certainly possible for Krishna to have both union with and separation from a particular associate simultaneously on different dimensions of being. He is united with one in one dimension, separated from that same but different person in another dimension. As the same, going back to the analogy of this verse, as the five elements earth, water, fire, either, and so on, are always one and different from creation. They are present in all, every created element, but they are separated as well, invisibly. Hmm. So if the gopis had been separated, and, and, and this is also a common sense point to conclude, if the gopis were act, had been actually separated from Krishna in an absolutistic sense, or in other words, if they had been separated from Krishna in regard, with regard to all Prakashas, to all dimensions... They would not have been able to survive. I mean they would not have been able to survive anymore that you can endure without air. Indeed, separation from Krishna on all dimensions of beings, on all prakashas, prakat, aprakat, absolutistic is totally impossible for, for someone like the Gopis. So that that that's and this is again further proof that they are still uniting with him in so many of these prakashes. <laughs> And this very example is of the material elements, as you may recall, is also present in the third of the fourth Chatur Shloki verse of the Bhagavatam, verse 34 of 9 chapters, 2nd Canto. So this indicates, if this is present there in the very seed of the Bhagavatam, indicates the essential message, the ultimate unfolding of these four seed verses of the Bhagavatam. And consequently of the whole book as well, which unfolds from these four verses, is to reveal the intrinsic nature of the Gopi's love for Krishna, which is happening in this very precise moment here, with this same example of the elements. Mm -hmm. So, some words I want to share with you today, in connection to this first uh, verse, with Krishna sending his message to the Gopi through (coughs) Dev. And in our next meeting, we will continue in discussing the remaining eight verses with their different levels of purport and interpretations by the Braja Gupikas. But today we will finish here. And since today's meeting is not being streamed live, if you have any questions, please share them in the thread in our Tatva uh, group. And I will try to reply them uh, along the week. And hopefully see you next Monday. We will conclude offering our pranam to the Harikata of Sri Srimad Bhagavatam and the Braja Gopikas and Sri in particular, in the words of Uddhav himself, which had the potential of purified the entire world, ourselves being a tiny speck of dust inside that. Sam Punati ki Shri Man Mahaprabhu ki jai, Shri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Granthala Shri Madhbhagavatan ki jai, Shri Brahma Raghita ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai, Gaur Pramand, Haribo,